With your help, we can continue to fight for freedom, reach new audiences, and bring important information to the public free of charge. This is not possible without your generosity. Join our quest for the truth and our freedom and donate today. Visit www.realitycheck.radio forward slash donate. Well, tomorrow marks the two-year anniversary of the end of the Parliament protest, which tragically ended in chaos and violence. RCR decided to bring together a few people who were a big part of the events on the ground. Linda Wharton from the Health Forum, who ran a community tent at Parliament Grounds alongside NZDSOS, talking to those impacted by the mRNA jabs. Linda, welcome. Great to have you. Oh, thank you so much. Great to be here. Alastair Harding, who was filming on the grounds and who has since produced a fantastic documentary about it, We Came Here for Freedom. Alistair, great to have you. Thanks for coming in. Thanks, Paul. I can't believe it's two years already. You've come back for freedom. <laughs> yes, yes, I'm here. <laughs> and Alia Bland, one of the co-founders, of course, of Voices for Freedom, which was heavily involved with the support of, for the convoy, lining the roads and the rain, flags and signs. Remember that? and the organisation of the protest from behind the scenes. Alia, thanks for coming in. Hey, thanks, Paul. Nice to be here. OK. Quick fire question. It was two years ago. What's the first thing that comes into your, your head about the events of two years ago? Anyone can go first. It was a beautiful, beautiful time. Um, the first thing I think about is just how people came together, New Zealanders who... Had you know, we had a prime minister who had been her stated intention was to make two classes of New Zealanders, and we just came together. And I always remember on the the first first day of the, the sorry the second day of the convoy, walking in the town of Woodville and turning to my mate and saying, "Man, this is the first time I've felt free enough to walk down the street without having somebody coming up to me and telling me to wear a mask or anything." It just it did feel feel freeing. It was a beautiful beautiful time. Woodville. Of all yeah, places. Never forget one. <laughs> all right. Linda. Well, Alice has just expressed it so beautifully, um, except for, of course, the events of tomorrow, two years ago. The rest of the time there was, um, yeah, just life-altering for so many people. It was indeed a beautiful healing space of incredible kindness and love and a lack of judgment, just just people acknowledging each other's pain, um, the separatism and the rejection that we'd all been through. Uh, and it was just beautifully bonding and healing and loving and a very special memory for the rest of my life, personally. Yeah. That was the same for me, you guys. It was, um, you would walk through those gates onto the grounds and you'd feel it, like you'd just feel it in your body, this sense of relief and um, the energy that came with everybody being there from all different walks of life, but all together there in unison for this one fundamental thing to end these tyrannical mandates that were happening, destroying lives, upsetting um, people's health from the consequences of, of taking these products. Um, to me, you know, it felt there was tension there because um, it had this sort of celebratory vibe and some people weren't happy about that. But after being locked down and shut, shut up and sort of suppressed for so long, everybody felt like, you know, it was, it was our chance to have the, um, 
the the music festival of sorts, you know what I mean? To come together and to just uh, be with each other without all of the oppression that was happening as soon as you walked out of the gates. You know, you you were back in it again. You know, all the masks were there with all the Wellingtonians and the shops were closed and you weren't allowed here and you weren't allowed there. Um, so, you know, despite um, the seriousness of what we were all there for, I felt like it was really quite a healing sort of a place. I watched it all on live streaming video, mostly Chantel Baker's coverage. And you could pick that up through the phone, that feeling, that vibe. It came through electronically. Didn't yeah. have to be there. Um, so there were plenty of people around moving past in the grounds, Wellingtonians. They didn't feel the vibe. There were people who didn't feel the vibe. How do we explain that? I look at that. I always remember when I was there, I spent almost every waking moment with my cameras trying to record everything because you didn't know what was going to happen. You didn't know what you what you had to have and what you were going to miss and so on. And so I carried my cameras everywhere I went. And I always remember walking around the outside when I would leave the protest and I'd be walking down the streets and you'd start to hear people saying things. I remember one night standing on a corner listening to a guy berating the police who were standing outside a hotel, telling them that he wants his city back, um, saying, get rid of these protesters and so on. But I always remember that phrase, give us, give us our city back. And I just remember thinking, wow, he's just repeating exactly what he's been told to say by the media. That was one of those catchphrases that, that was said by the media at that time. Another one I thought was quite funny, actually, the same sort of thing, was I was standing on the other side of the road at Lampton Quay there looking back at the, the protesters one day when the police were moving those bollards around. And there was one lady who was shouting at the police and she kept on, she was saying, you know, give us our city back. And then she said, um, our Joan of Arc, our New Zealand Joan of Arc will save us. And I thought, where did that come from? And I went and looked it up, and it turned out that that was one of the things that early on in Jacinda Ardern's reign in 2017 that the media was trying to put out there. Oh. Um, so, again, that was another one where it was just repeating. Reciting the, the talking say. point, just reciting, yeah. Yeah, yeah I mean, it, you know, it, it was two different worlds. It was like a Venn diagram with no overlap, two different worlds. There was the world bordered by, you know, the perimeter of the parliamentary grounds that we were in and the reality of that world. And outside of that was a world that uh, had been heavily programmed by immense propaganda from government and every single mainstream media platform in this country. And, you know, never, never the twain shall meet at, at that time. I think I think there's a lot more of a meeting going on right now, but then we we may as well have had, you know, a hundred foot barbed wire fence between the protesters and the rest of Wellington because there was such a massive breakdown of of understanding of who we were, the kind of people we were, and what we were standing for. Uh, it was brainwashing. You know, Linda, you, you say that and it reminds me of a story that I heard at the um, Voices for Freedom press conference that was done during the protest. And it was one of your um, your New Zealand Health Forum ladies was speaking and Lisa Wellborn. And oh, she yes. told a story 
about how there was a young lady came into the protest and she was wearing a mask and she had um, she'd just been to the hospital. I don't think she was sick or anything like that. She was going to visit someone or maybe she was there for an appointment and they'd tested her for the virus and she'd tested positive. And so they'd actually turned her away and she'd come and so she'd come to the protest absolutely beside herself that she thought she was going home to die. And so the only place that she could think of going to was come down to the protest and she saw your tent there, New Zealand Health Forum, and she went and found Lisa and they sat down and they talked and Lisa basically had to talk her down. And, you know, you talk about the brainwashing and to me that is such a, that story always gets me because I sometimes think, well, we had it maybe a little bit better. I mean, she, she thought she was going home to die. That's how bad it got for them. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, terrifying. I remember that story. She was really terrified. Mm. Uh, and somebody, I think, recorded her or took photos or something, or maybe we even saw her. I can't remember, but she genuinely was. She she had swallowed, you know, the mainstream narrative hook, line, and sinker, and it's and she must be one of many people who would have felt that way. And you can kind of understand why they react in the way that they did react when they had that that false understanding. Absolutely. So it was like but, a you were, you were like a bubble, sort of like a bubble, um, and the, this outside world, which was sort of outside the bubble is doing its thing and I guess looking in um, because we heard all those sort of, you know, things like it's, it's difficult to get parking was a big complaint. No, we can't get parking (laughs) as if that was like a, you know, a world stopping problem. Um, The the law students couldn't get to the law school. And um, I think uh, David uh, Seymour was talking about um, school kids who were um, abused for wearing a mask, though someone told me that those school kids came in every day for a free breakfast. So I, I don't know what was going on, but it, there were some familiar tropes, or tr- is that the word that were all you'd all, you'd hear all the time? That's right. And we, we while we were down there, we were we had lots of meetings in different places, and so we we would take the odd Uber or taxi around to get from one place to another. And um, whenever we did, we'd take the opportunity to speak to the taxi drivers about what they were experiencing, right? And and every single time, these guys would tell us that, because we would say, how do you think that the protest is impacting on the people of Wellington and the businesses and that sort of thing? And they said, look, it was dead before the protest even started. Oh, okay. Everybody was so scared because it was whatever the level was. It was one of those stupid traffic light levels or something. Um People were too scared to come into town because of COVID. People weren't opening their shops because of COVID and they didn't want to catch it. So it wasn't actually the protesters at all. It was the uh, the shop owners or the, the workers who were too scared to either open their businesses or the patrons to come to their businesses. So, you know, this kind of other, the other narrative that was running that we were destroying the businesses of downtown Wellington was utterly false. In fact, if those people had actually opened their businesses and their cafes and put a table out the front, you know, we know we weren't allowed inside. However, they st- they would have done a booming trade because people were down there were still wanting to buy things like they sold out the whole uh, Wellington sold out of gumboots and things, you know, because of the <laughs> rain when it happened. Everybody wanted gumboots and, and raincoats because everybody came up ill prepared. And, <laughs> you know, so the, those that were open did well. Um, and and those those that didn't missed a, missed a trick. I want to get on to what you think 
it achieved in just a moment. But um, it seems to me from watching it, not being in it, but watching it, that um, over a period of time, the certain people were outed, right? Like Mallard outed himself, the the police commissioner outed himself, the the police outed themselves, the media were up in their little perch, Chantel used to say, outed themselves. It, it, it kind of forced people to out themselves. That's what it looked like to me, not being there, watching over time. That's always the case, isn't it? In, in any extreme situation in life where you're under immense duress, you know, and your back is against the wall, that is the time where your true character comes out and whether that character is, you know, is congruent with the face that you present to the world. You know, if you, pre- if you present a face of integrity when you're under immense pressure, do your actions match that persona and, and that, you know, that expectation on the outside? Or when you're under great pressure, do you crumble and your true nature of, you know, lower vibration and darkness comes out? And yeah, that's, that's a good exactly way of putting it. That's what I was thinking. About. Yeah, yeah. That, that's what you're talking about. So within, within the grounds, so many of the protesters were people who were under immense duress. They'd, they'd lost everything. They'd lost families, marriages, jobs, careers, respect, you name it. And so many of them were rising in a most incredible way, you know, offering kindness and support and strength to other people around them who were suffering just as much. And contrast that with the the outing that you're just talking about, you know, the the darkness, the complete lack of empathy, the complete lack of willingness to even listen to the grievances of the people there. So yeah, under hard times and duress, your your real character shows. It was a huge time for, you know, on the positive side of that, just the development of of strength as well. And um and I being able to open up their eyes to two different things. You know, I was talking a bit, talking to a climate scientist recently for another story, and he was on the other side during that period. And the first time I spoke to him, he um, he expressed those feelings. And then just recently, just last week, I was talking to him, and he was he's starting to see the same things happening in his debate because he's on the wrong side of the climate debate. And halfway through the conversation, I said to him, so now do you see how the whole COVID thing happened? And he said to me, yeah, yeah, I absolutely see it now. And so, you know, when you talk about the transformation of people, it's it's still happening today. They they tried to divide us. They tried to weaken us. Our prime minister tried to to divide us into two classes and all of that. They locked us out. But actually what they're really doing is just making us all a lot stronger. And I think it's still happening today. It happened during the time. I remember it specific, I remember it very well happening to me. Um, I went there quite quite worried about what was going to happen. And, and by the end, I was right in the thick of it, um, filming away quite happily. What about, um, can we talk about that last day? Because I, I, it's still uncertain. I'm still uncertain about what happened on that last day. Um, 
I mean, there was a sense, obviously, again, watching the streams, you you could feel the tension rising and something was in the air early on. You, you, you could tell that. But having had interest in the January 6th non-insurrection and knowing about agent provocateurs, I could have all this wrong, but it seemed to me that, that, that there was some kind of, something changed on that, maybe in the morning on that day where, People who looked like they'd never been there before were suddenly there. Is that a fair impression? Was I seeing things, or did something happen there? It, you knew it was going to happen, right? I, mean, I remember the night before, um, we thought it was going to happen that night, and then it didn't. And uh, so then I remember on the day itself, you know, you woke up about 5 a.m. I remember feeling very, very tired about it. Um, I was ready to go home by that point, but I also remember feeling this, 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 I don't know, it was a little bit scary. You know, you knew it was going to happen. You'd heard all the stories about, you know, over a thousand police were coming. Um, I remember feeling in my bones that that was the final day that I was probably going home that night or, or the next day. And it was, for me, it was just one big last effort to keep filming and try and try and get the end. Um, but I also remember thinking it was going to be a very historical day and I was quite thankful to be there. Um, but to me, you know, when you talk about agent provocateurs and all of that stuff, um, I don't think you're, you're far wrong myself, but the biggest agent provocateurs for me were the police. I mean, they came down Hill Street at 6 a.m. in the morning and I remember standing in the middle of that street and watching them come down, trying to film them. And all my footage is all out of focus because I was just scared. I remember running into the the cathedral forecourt there yep. and, and hiding in there because I thought I had it in my head that they were going to... Did gonna... Mr. Whitehead let you in? <laughs> no, mate. no I, 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 um, he had closed the door that morning. But, you know, it was... They came down Hill Street just bashing people with their shields. And then they stood at the top of at the bottom of Hill Street and the top of Molesworth Street there, right? And we spent, I don't know how many hours, but it was probably from then until about 3 p.m. The protesters standing with their backs to the police, singing, listening to speeches, talking, all of that stuff, trying to talk to the police. And they just, the police stood there until about 3 p.m. Now, that wasn't the protesters fighting the police. That was the police holding that line, wait, they'd bashed to get their way there, and then about 3 p.m. they started again. And um, using their shields, pepper spray, all of that stuff. And so, of course, yes, people did start to throw things. Things did start to burn and so on, because they were, they were forced into that. They were pushed into that by the violence of the police. So, I, I mean, that's what you get. If yep. you act violently towards a crowd of people, um, whether there were people that were put planted in there to deliberately do things, I think there is evidence of that. Um, but at the end of the day, I think that that's the result that the police went there to provide for the media on the balcony filming it. I guess I, I was also thinking of if you wanted pictures that carried a particular message, it would be good to have some you know, lawless types going off their rockers, throwing stuff at the police because that's on the news that night and everyone's going, well, yes, of course, of course, we told you. Um, was any of that time for television on that day just 
curious, do you think? In the never morning, particularly breakfast before. TV? I've never thought of that before, but, you know, now you say it, yeah. I mean, they came in at 6 a.m., and why, why did they do that? I suppose No one's watching at 11 at night. To, to, yeah. Well, mm. I suppose they did it at 6 a.m., I suppose, to wake everybody up, to surprise people. There, there was a big element of surprise. They needed to get inside the grounds, and they did that outside the library straight away. And once they got in there, you know, it was it was going, always going to be over. But then I suppose, yeah, I mean, they kick off at 3 p.m. That's uh, that's just in time for um, getting everything the, heated up for the, the news. news, right? Yeah. Okay. Um, uh, Linda or Alia, anything to add to that? Well, uh, I, I, I just want to do a true confession. First of all, thank Alistair for the amazing footage he took. And secondly, say that I actually watched the entire day unfold from my bed in Auckland. Um, I I had returned home to Auckland for supposedly four days to do some things that I absolutely had to do. And then I was going back to Freedom Village. And as soon as I got home to Auckland, I got very, very sick. So as a lot of people got very, very sick and I didn't make it back. So that was it. I was in bed, in my sick bed, watching Chantal's coverage for the day. Yeah. Um, but also stunned at, at what I was watching. I, I couldn't quite reconcile, you know, the, the fear and the anger and the vehemence with what I had experienced, you know, just a few days mm. earlier in the village. So I don't feel I can add a lot to it because I wasn't actually there on the ground at that time. Hell of a thing to watch, though, wasn't it? Because I, I oh. saw it the same way. It, yeah, it was it, it was riveting in the most distressing way. You know, it, yeah. I just couldn't take my eyes off. I just watched Chantal live stream all day. It was incredible. It was heartbreaking to watch because you know you you'd been there, you'd lived it, you were part of it for so long. We'd we'd all gone back a couple of days before too to visit our families because we'd abandoned them for weeks, and. Um, so I, you know, got up that morning, saw it all unfolding, and and booked the first flight down, back down to Wellington because we figured, you know, we couldn't all be up in Auckland and, and away from it. So I had an appointment with my son at the orthodontist, and and they were on our side, and they were watching it too. And they just said, "I said, look, can you go as fast as you can because I've got to catch this plane in, you know, this many minutes." And and so they were all, you know, everyone was sort of working to get me back down there, and. As it turned out, when I when I got down there, I I actually had a meeting which I had forgotten about, which was with the um, the chief human rights commissioner Paul Hunt in a in an office that was overlooking the parliament grounds. So I I was in there, sort of pleading with this guy to to do something, you know, like to use his position. We'd had so many meetings with him, and he'd done, you know nothing uh about it and and i just said look you know you, this is this is not going to go away you know this is not solving anything this violence is and and so afterwards we went down and um walked around the perimeter of the area where the police had put up the cordons and they still had the 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 cannons that they were using with those horrible rubber bullets that they were shooting at people and you know i took some photos and um one of the friends that we were with, uh, it was these police were so jacked up. It was like they were on something. I mean, I'm not saying suggesting that they necessarily were, but they were hyped like you would not believe. Apparently, someone told me they had chance. They had um, like pre, like a pre, a sort of preparation routine for this, which included chance and certain breathing. And to, I think the suggestion was to get them into a certain 
state yeah, and team. Yeah. Back in the nightclub days, I remember team policing units used to jack themselves in that way too. You know? Yeah, yeah. It was it was quite uh, scary, and they actually did they deliberately cross the road to push one of my friends over, who was doing nothing other than just standing there filming, um, into, a, into a garden where there was a great big rock. She could have hurt her head. It was really dangerous and ridiculously uh, unnecessary. Um, and, and the next day I'd taken a picture of these police, this sort of unit of police who were all taking this picture of themselves by one of those bollards. And on the bollard, because they had um, murals that were painted on these bollards, the protesters had painted, and this particular bollard had PTSD wow. painted on it. <laughs> and they were and they were all standing there, you know, giving each other a sort of slap on the back, and and they saw I was taking a picture, and so I think that they they must have done the peace sign or something like that to me. Like they were they were so proud of what they had done, and I was standing there taking this picture. They obviously didn't realise which side of I was on. Um, and they were they were joyous about what they'd just participated in, which was sickening. Um, one quick um, comment about the live feed is on that last day, I checked the numbers. TVNZ had a live stream, and they showed the n- a number count of views on their media player. Presumably it's accurate. And, of course, with Chantel's feed, Facebook had the number of views, you know, at that moment as well. And And I'm rounding up the numbers. Chantel was 28,000. TVNZ was 280. <laughs> 280 people or 280,000? Yep. No, 280 <laughs> simultaneous sessions compared to 28,000. That's if the numbers are right on Ch- yeah. Chantel. So that that could could tell you why News Hub doesn't exist right now. But anyway, okay, so um, what what did it achieve? Well, I think you know there was that there was a survey that was done at the time that showed that thirty percent of Kiwis were supportive of the protesters down to end the mandates, and I think that that's a really big deal. And so, despite the way that it ended in violence, uh, you know, clearly it had an impact on what happened next in terms of the government backing down and dropping the majority, not all, of the mandates, and uh, the the decline of you know our wondrous. Uh, leader, Jacinda Ardern, who who was um, booted out at the next election. So I think it had, you know, it did have a really um, a, a huge impact. Yeah. I agree. I think, I think it was a, a pivotal moment in the whole COVID response drama. And I'm not, I'm not certain by any means that if it hadn't happened, that uh, if it hadn't happened, I don't, I don't believe the mandates would have been dropped at that time. I think they gave a long enough period of time to to portray the idea that the dropping of the mandates were actually nothing at all to do with the occupation at Parliament. You know, three weeks for things to settle a bit. Um, but I do believe it was a pivotal moment in the in the dropping of many of the mandates. Alistair, I look at it um, from through my media lens, and I think it was. It was our New Zealand moment, this profound moment in going through the information revolution, right? And I think this was our moment in that. You know, I always I always think, I always say to people, look, we went down there thinking that we were fighting for freedom. And yeah, yeah, we were. But the bigger picture on that is that um, they were really fighting to keep control of information. So the, the information war is what it was. In- 
Yeah, we're going through this information revolution, right? This is we've got the internet now, so all the this information is there, and and you know they turned up when we turned up at Parliament. The media turned up with about six or eight cameras and they planted them on the balcony and they thought that they were going to be able to control the story through those six to eight cameras, through their their news, their their TV news and their radio and their newspapers. Always tightly zoomed, by the way, to show minimal yeah. crowd. Okay. But the protesters turned up literally with thousands of cameras. And, you know, that's why Chantel, you know, you mentioned before about Chantel's feed. You know, that's why she was such a pivotal part of that and why Linda was watching... Um, watching her feeds through when she wasn't there and so on. You know, that's what it's actually about. This these these controllers of information are losing control because information's become like water now. You know, you block it here, it'll it'll pop up somewhere else. And that's why I think you you're right. You talk about news hub going down the drain because they actually haven't adapted and understood that. That, you know, they're not in charge of the narrative anymore. And and so, of course, what happened was they started to call us filth and extremists and all those things, because that's what you do do when someone threatens your, your, your power, right? But, you know, that's why I say we're going through this, this internet age. And I think it's that this was our moment in that. And, um, and it's happening globally. And I think that's, that's why RCRs around now too, right? Yeah, for sure. Yep, you can see that uh, they're they're experiencing the consequences of um, their behaviour and being so one-eyed and um, biased and and unable to read the room. Yeah, <laughs> I always remember too. You know, when we were there, when we talk about the media, um, one of the funniest things I found was that the the only thing I think they got right was they reported we were there. Otherwise, they seem to just. <laughs> They just make stuff up the whole time, and I think history will show that. So that was a victory in an information war, and the casualties were the Prime Minister, the mandates, no particular order here, the Prime Minister, the government eventually, right? I mean, that's that's the ripple, isn't it? Yeah, well, one, one thing we saw today, um, you know, there was a video that was put out on Twitter of um, – Winston Peters standing in front of Parliament accepting a uh, a petition from NZDSOS. You know, our Deputy Prime Minister was standing out there accepting a petition from the people that were part of the protest. Um, that's how far we've come since then. We've had our Deputy Prime Minister talking on RCR with you, haven't we? Um, yeah. You know, we've definitely come a long way and we've, we've definitely, our, our message is a lot more mainstream than it was two years ago. Yeah, Linda, things. you got any thoughts on on the effect, the ripple effect? Now, oh, the ripple effect. I I totally concur with everything that's just been said. Um, I am very excited um, to see what the consequences are of the clear and rapid demise of mainstream media in New Zealand um, over the next year to eighteen months. Um, it's exciting to have RCR on the media scape. Uh, independent journalism, you know, people like me and Alistair and so many others, NZDSOS, Guy Hatchard, more and more people are turning to independent voices that have no agenda that is linked to big pharma or big payment. There's no payoff other than telling the truth in these situations for independent media. So um, 
yeah, I think we are the way of the future. And I think the current, the new government, if they have any common sense and if they have good advisors, will will understand that and um, take that into consideration with their accountability and the decisions that they make. They must have learned a lesson here, surely. It's it's it will be in the textbooks of PR spin merchants and <laughs> journalists and politician managers, etc. Um, surely, this you need to take notice of what happened here, right? Because it, it, it they were kind of destroyed <laughs> by it, and and almost have to reinvent. That, that way of doing things, I would have thought, out of this. Another well, you've, you've sort of already seen the, the, the hints of that, haven't you, this week with um, Luxon's comments ab- about uh, when questioned about the media um, to the two stories, the one story about how, the, you know, the boycott of RCR from the fact people and also yep. um, the demise of News Hub. And and they are talking about you know needing to have this this diverse media landscape as and how that's a healthy thing and how maybe they need to have a look at their business model if it's failing. So you know I think that it's things are changing for sure. Yeah, um, I'm not a great fan of any politicians, and um, don't get me going about that. But <laughs> I was reassured to hear Luxon say use the term groupthink. Yes. We don't yeah. want groupthink. Bloody oath we don't want it. Yeah. I'm glad someone said it. Yeah, and maybe that's the pain that what happened through that protest or, or what happened on March the 2nd, uh, that's the uh, that's the silver lining to it, right, because we learnt that lesson very, very clearly there. We, we saw what happens when um, information is censored and suppressed and people are divided. We saw that as a nation very, very clearly. Any last words to say, because we're coming up against time. And if you haven't, I've got one question to ask all of you before we wind it up. So feel free well, to. I, I did, Paul, and that was to do with um, the fact that, you know, tens of thousands of Kiwis went to the protest in Parliament um, because they were not being heard. It was the last resort, right? Like people, you know, they had they were losing everything and this is why they travelled and they made that effort to be there at, at huge cost in a lot of different ways. And I just, you know, I think we've got this change in things. And while I'm not suggesting that it is the uh, white knight having a different government, we do finally have a different um, set of people in charge who are prepared to listen. And they are actually asking for our stories now. So I think, you know, it's really important for people to have their say. And that we also, um, it's our challenge is to ensure that these people in charge feel enough pressure to do something that is really impactful. So please, you know, keep an eye on what we're doing in the next week or two and get in behind that if you can. And I would just add to that, uh, concur with that, that to to encourage all, all the Health Forum followers to please take the time, make the effort to put your submission in and to also speak into the the revision of the terms of reference. We get the opportunity to say what we want in this revised inquiry. And please, please use your voice to um, to ask for the terms to be extended to cover 
a really in-depth look at uh, the the adverse events and the deaths, the the consequences of using the the, the vaccines in New Zealand, um, the safety and the efficacy, because neither of those things, neither the safety or the efficacy are in the current terms of reference. And I can tell you to this day, we are still dealing with an endless number of people who have not recovered from the injury. If anything, they're getting sicker and sicker. So they haven't gone away. They're not magically better. And there need there needs to be a deep investigation of what happened in that area. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. And, and that's what we're working on with this. We've got these a broad terms of reference that we'd like people to get in behind and and lend their voice to. All right. Okay. So here's the question I would like to uh, ask everybody before we finish up. Um, let's let's start. Ali, I start with you. The, the the most powerful memory from that. Oh gosh, <laughs> I should have had that one before. Yeah, so I'm sorry. Think. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I would probably say for me, gosh. The, the the emotion of it all, looking back at the video footage and the and the photos that were taken, really do. I, I have to sort of gird myself to watch that because it always makes me feel very emotional. But what I probably enjoyed the most about it was meeting all of the people. So we would go down there, and you know, you you couldn't get around a circuit of the lawn with under sort of two hours because it was filled with hugs and tears and stories and you know just joy. And, and relief at being able to hug each other, and and I think that that human connection for me was probably the biggest thing that was so welcome. Linda, oh, me too, Alia. It w- it was the real people, the the hugs, the endless endless hugs. The days that I was in the village, I stood all day long in the health forum tent and literally hugged and spoke to hundreds of people endless tears um whenever people see me even to this day they want to hug me and then burst into tears and then i start crying and so i've never cr- I've never had so many tears on me around me and through me as I have <laughs> three. so just the people contact was the heart-to-heart connection was wonderful alistair you were looking through your viewfinder through all of this you must have seen so many images yeah i felt very very privileged to to not just be there, but to see the potential of what was going to happen and and get down there. And, you know, Linda mentions about the the hugs and the the tears, the tears. I'll always remember the tears. Um they're just I, I don't think as a as a as a bloke, as a Kiwi male, I don't think I've um shed quite so many tears as I did while I was while I was there, it just seemed to be just the most heartfelt place in the world. So to me, it was um, just a real privilege to be able to see it and be there to film it and just film every day. And if anybody's um, wanting to relive it, then, you know, you can, you can see it all at wecamehereforfreedom.com with, with my film. Any other comments before we, well, what are we doing? Closing the most recent chapter, and this is this anniversary as we remember. I just want to reiterate what, what the lady said, you know, just make sure you um, put in your memories and your, your submissions to the COVID inquiry. 
Just please, everybody do that. You know, it's been a while now. They're trying to, you look at the the ads that are, I was what, looking at a news site the other day and there was an ad for it and it was a picture of a guy sitting there in front of his computer and, and the, the line says, yeah, my life changed because I started working from home a lot more. Mm-hmm. And they're trying to whitewash this. They're trying to, to, to gaslight us into thinking that, you know, it was all well and good and, and everything went well and it didn't. And couldn't get a couldn't get a park. <laughs> yeah. It turned into the biggest protest in New Zealand's history. So, you know, just everybody, please do get on there and write your submission and make sure that your voice does get heard. Let's swamp them with these stories. That's right. And I think we will share them publicly as well for those who want these stories to be shared so that they're not locked behind a closed door. All right. Thanks for coming in, um, Alia Bland. Thank you, Alia, Alistair Harding, and Linda Wharton. Thanks for coming in. That was very cool. Thank you. Thanks, Paul. Happy March the 2nd. Thanks, everyone. If Reality Check Radio enriches your day in life, support us to keep bringing you the content, voices, perspectives, and the dose of reality you won't get anywhere else. Visit www.realitycheck.radio forward slash donate.